0: It's wonderful to be with you this morning as we're considering just how unlikely it is that Christmas would occur and how we are called to respond to this unlikely and sacred love that has entered our world and entered our lives. Today we're looking at the story of the wise men, also called the Magi, and how they were unlikely friends uh, with Mary and Joseph and Christ's family because they they came from a different place. They came from far away. And many of us in our lives, we have deep friendships that were unlikely, that we never imagined. And somehow we connected with people who were different from us and they blessed our lives in extraordinary ways. And yet we also know that to do that, to make unlikely friends, requires us to open our hearts and open our minds The same way at Christmas we're trying to open our hearts and minds to Jesus, we have to learn to open our hearts and minds to others. I always enjoy it when a young couple comes to the church and uh, they're ready to get married and I have the chance to talk with them. And One of the things I always ask is, how did you get to know one another? And how did you decide that you wanted to be serious with each other? And Not too long ago, I was talking to a couple, and she said, well, we had a mutual friend. Now, that's a pretty common way in which people meet one another through a mutual friend. And it actually occurred at Christmas. Their mutual friend was someone they'd both been to high school with. They were home for, from college for Christmas, and this mutual uh, friend uh, was... Uh, someone uh, who was invited to a Christmas party. But he- here's what went on. The the wife's friend group, they were they wanted to get all their old high school friends together for a Christmas party while they were back in town for break. And uh, this mutual friend was someone they considered inviting. And she said, we almost didn't invite him. And we had a long discussion on whether to invite him or not. And we all agreed that we loved him and we wanted to see him. But the problem was, whenever we invited him to anything, he had these other friends. And they were weird. And he would bring them along. And we weren't sure we wanted them brought along. But we decided, since we hadn't seen him in a while, to invite him. And then the husband looked at me and said, I was one of the weird friends. (laughs) And he got his chance and he made the most of it. But I want to share with you today, friends, that you better be careful this time of year about letting Jesus into your heart. Because once inside, he'll begin to carve out room for his weird friends as well. That's what Jesus does with our hearts. And if you've had very many friends, in fact, if you have very many family members, you'll soon discover in life the only type of friends there really are are weird friends. You get to know people well enough, they're weird, but they're beautiful and they're glorious and they're created in, in the image of God. That's, that's what Jesus does. And when we allow Jesus to do that, the results are miraculous, I have a friend that was was kind of a, a weird friendship for me. He and I grew up in very different settings. Uh, he grew up in the inner city in a very difficult home where there was there was violence and there wasn 't a lot of safety. Uh, I grew up very protected uh, and yet thanks to the school system, we were brought together thanks to athletics we became Uh, close friends. And after growing up in that setting, he eventually, uh, due to his intellect and some teachers and coaches who took an interest in him, he wanted to give back to that setting. So he became a principal. He's uh, an assistant principal at Brainerd High School in Chattanooga. And what he does is he now, because of his connections throughout the town, he takes a group of Brainerd students and forms them into a leadership group. And he teaches them what it is to be a leader in their community. And then he has coordinated with the Baylor School in Chattanooga, which as you know, is a very well-resourced private school there. And they have a leadership group. And they get these two leadership groups together. And he said, it's amazing what happens when they do so. And I said, well, what made you think of this? And he said, well, my kids needed to meet the kids from the private school, the well-to-do school, because those kids know something about how life really works that my kids needed to know. And he said, those kids from that school needed to get to know my kids because my kids know some stuff about how life really works that they needed to know. And he said, when you first get them together the first time of the year, They sit across the table, and they kind of stare at each other. And by the end of the year, there's laughter, and there's intermingling, and five and six years later, sometimes there are shared business ventures that go on between those groups because of what happens when we make unlikely friendships. So I want you to pay attention today to these unlikely friends of Jesus who come, the, the, the magi, and I hope you will... Pay attention to this story every day throughout this week to help open your heart to say, God, how can I make unlikely friends? Uh, You can find a reading plan that will take you through this story and other stories of unlikely friendship at concordunited.org slash Bible. Also, you can get a daily devotion there that will help you open your heart to Christ this Christmas season. You can find the same thing at our information center in the lobby. But today we're picking up with Matthew chapter 2 beginning with verse one. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and we have come to pay him homage. That word homage, we might better translate as we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. Calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least from the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out there and ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then they opened their treasure chest. They offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their country by another road. So let's, let's talk about a little bit about just how unlikely this journey was. These magi, these wise men, uh, they were people who sought God They sought the truth from their own tradition. We think, to the best of our research ability, that these were Zoroastrians from the area around Persia, that they would have been one of the few other religions of that time that believed in one God. And yet, the way they searched for truth was usually through the stars. Amazingly, even when we search for truth in places that aren't the best, if you are truly looking for truth, God will often encounter you there. And so God saw them sincerely seeking truth in the stars, and God gave them a sign in the, in the stars to guide them. They responded to that sign. But think how out of character this is. These well-to-do people, and we don't know, I, I'm so sorry uh, to bust one of your Christmas myths, uh, so please forgive me, but we don't know for sure that there were three. All we know is they brought three gifts. There were probably many more. There were probably some of these who traveled, these wise men, uh, again, were priests, were Zoroastrian priests, they would have been well-to-do, they would have been well-dressed, they probably had attendants and servants who traveled with them as well. There could have been three, there could have been 12, there could have been 33. And that's wonderful when you're doing a Christmas play, because you can just keep adding kids, right? As long as you have a bathrobe, you can add another wise man or a wise woman to to come and uh, worship the, the Christ child. Well, they come and they come to King Herod. And King Herod was respected for his ruthlessness and his cunning. And they don't say, hey, King Herod, we have come to pay you homage. We have come to honor you. We have come to give you gifts. They say, King Herod, We have come to give gifts to a king who is not of your lineage, who will succeed you. That's a risk, my friends. There is no way they could have anticipated how King Herod would respond to these foreigners. Now, due to the diplomatic manners of that day, they knew that they would be received in the palace under a certain chivalrous protocol, but they didn't know what would happen to them after that. They didn't know if Herod's smiles were genuine or if they were cunning, if he was planning uh, for their demise once they left. But they went, and they went in search of the, the Christ child, and they went to Bethlehem. And can you imagine what it was like when they went to Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem is a suburb of Jerusalem. It's just a, a few miles away, but it's it's a very different culture than Jerusalem. And when they went to Bethlehem, there's no way they weren't noticed. There's no way they just blended in. And you know this if you've ever gone to a small town. I've served churches in cities like Knoxville. I've also served churches in small towns. And when I've served churches in small towns, when I've moved there, it's not like it is here. Here, when you move somewhere, people want to know, where'd you go to school? Right? Uh, that, that's, that's the question they, they ask. You know, where'd you go to school? When you go to a small town, they don't ask that. They ask Who are your people? Who are your people? We know people by their families. We have an idea that certain families act in certain ways. And if we're going to trust you, we need to know who your people are. Well, nobody knew the Magi's people in that small town of Bethlehem. And yet here they came, these oddly dressed, well-to-do foreigners. And they were looking... For a child of a working class family. And they were going to kneel down and offer extravagant gifts and proclaim him king. Don't think that didn't make the Farragut Press. Right? Don't think that wasn't talked about in that, in that little suburb. Don't think it went unnoticed. Or And don't think that they didn't somewhat fear for their well-being while they were there. But they went anyways. They went Anyways, and I want you to know, uh, the magic of the Magi, what was so magical about them, was their willingness to take a great risk for God with no, pro- no promise of reward. None. There, they had no expectation of a return on their investment other than the chance that they would get to bring their gift to God. That they would get to do, they would get to seek the truth and respond to the truth. They had no other expectation of a return on investment. Have you ever in your life given a gift like that? With no expectation of a return on an investment. They just wanted to respond to the truth. And when you see a gift given like that, it changes things. I was uh, reminded of this recently, I had a, a young family stop by the office, and they stopped by to to make their commitment to the capital campaign. and And I talked to them, and I said, "Hey, um, they they just wanted me to know what what they were doing." And I said, "You know, we we couldn't be more thankful, or humble, or grateful for for what you're doing. This is really a sacrificial gift." And they said, "You know, our our kids are in youth now; they're um, they're never going to use this building." And, uh, you know, we, we hope they'll stay in town. and One day we'll have grandchildren running around in it. But, but we understand how things are these days with moving for careers. And that's probably not going to happen. And uh, sadly, our, our parents are uh, they're, they're past the age where, where they could use this. One of our parents uh, could have used this a few years ago in her struggle with dementia. Uh, but uh, she's no longer with us now. Uh, but we want to do this. Uh, we, we, we want to do this simply because of what we believe in the church and, and in God. And they gave, with no promise of reward, an extravagant sacrificial gift at a, at a fairly early season in their life. And when you see that, it just shakes you up. It made me go back and say, am I doing everything I can to honor God in this manner because of, of how they are? And when you give unlikely gifts like that, it forms unlikely relationships. Often, unlikely friendships are formed by unlikely gifts. We began this morning by by talking about the the marriage that came out of an unlikely invitation. Well, sometimes unlikely gifts uh, change lives. We had that happen uh, here at the church as well. About two decades ago, a family came to us. And they said, hey, we'd like to give a gift to the church. We didn't know if the church would be able to receive it. And we said, well, well we, uh, whoever was here at the time, uh, said, what, what's the gift? And they said, well, our family has a few uh, burial plots and we're not going to use them. We've decided to make different plans. Are there, is there ever a time when the church needs those? And we said, well, there might be. We'll hang on to them. And for 20 years, there was never a time when the church needed those, but we hung on to them. And this year, we had a young man connected to our church uh, who passed away uh, tragically and unexpectedly, and his family was entirely unprepared. And we were able to call the family, and we were able to say, hey, um, we understand that, that you don't have a place for the burial, uh, we have a plot. Would it be helpful? And the family talked to us, and they said, we, we just never thought we'd be going through this, and we, we want to have a place to lay him to rest, and we don't want him to be alone. And we said, well, we have several plots together. Would you like to have these for your family to, to be together uh, when, you're, when you're laid to rest? And in that horrible season, the church was able to make an extravagant gift to form a a relationship with a family who didn't have a church at the time because someone years ago had given a gift, a gift that seemingly made no difference for two decades and a gift that today is making a transformative difference for a family. It's kind of like it was with the Magi. They came, they gave their gift and they left and nothing happened. Nothing happened for 10 years they never heard anything about this young man, Jesus, back in their home country of Persia. And after 20 years, they never heard anything about this young man, Jesus, back in their country of Persia. And after 30 years, they never heard anything. And after 33 years, they began to hear some things. And after a hundred years, the entire Mediterranean world had been changed because of this young man, Jesus. And they may or may not have lived to have heard any of that. But they made a gift. They made a gift that that we still talk about. They they made a gift that is the reason for all our traditions of putting gifts under the trees. They made a gift with no idea there'd be any return on it but they simply made an extravagant gift to show the truth that they had discovered about life. And here's one of the great truths we discover when we give a gift to Jesus. At Jesus' manger, when they knelt there. And I, I want to say this, I, I know, I biblical scholars in the congregation, I know they probably didn't actually come to the manger. Most likely they came to a couple years later when Jesus was a toddler and he may or may not have had good manners, he might've run out and tried to bamboozle them on their, on, on their way in, or he might've shyly hid behind Mary's leg because he didn't know what to make of these people in these fancy smancy outfits. But when we come to Jesus's manger, what we discover there is we're all part of the same family because we all have that question about each other who are your people right who are your people uh, are are you part of my denomin- are you part of my local church are you part of my denomination are you part of my neighborhood are you part of my political party are are you are you from my, are you from my country do you think like i think do you cheer for the same college football teams as as i do are are you are you one of my my people and when we come to Jesus' manger <sighs> when we offer gifts there, uh, he, inv- he opens our heart to his weird friends and all the people he calls his neighbors. Uh, and we see that we are all part of one family because we all have a common ancestor and his, his name's Jesus. And they come to this child who, this peasant Jewish child who wasn't highly valued by society and they offer him gifts fit for a king And then he teaches us to love one another as if we were all kings and queens. He teaches us the value of life. You know, economists have tried to put a value on human life. And they've actually done calculations and there's no fully agreed upon way to calculate it. But they've tried to say, how much is a human life actually worth? How much in a human life will be invested in the entirety of this human's life? And they've got some numbers. If you live in the United States, your life's worth about $10 million. It's about how much will be invested in you in the course of your life. If you live in Australia, it's $5 million. If you live in Russia, it's between $1 and $2 million. You live in Turkey, it's one million. You live in Sub Saharan Africa, less than a million dollars will be invested in you in the course of your life. And if you want to know where I got those statistics, www.wikipedia.com so you know they're true. <laughs> but I did some other research, not on Wikipedia. I did some research in here, right? And I came up with another list. And it was the value of a human life according to Jesus. According to Jesus, value of a human life in the United States is his life. In Australia, the value of a human life according to Jesus is worth his life. In Russia, his life. In Turkey, his life. In sub-Saharan Africa, his life, the value of human life is worth giving his life for according to him. And because he gave his life to be with us at Christmas, to die for us on Good Friday, to rise again on Easter, we've been encountered by unlikely love. And we've been called to make unlikely friends because we're all members of an unlikely family And what do families do at the holidays? They gather around the table. So we're going to gather around his table today. And I invite you, as you prepare yourselves to come forward today when you do, would you simply pray the prayer, Jesus, open my heart to you and to your unlikely friends. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we're preparing to come to your table not because we're worthy, but because you have invited us. Open our hearts, not only to the truth of your divinity, but to the reality of the friends that you will place in our lives and your presence within them. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org.